Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you. And uh, I tell you, how much, that was so exciting watching those kids. Sing. There's something about kids that light up a room when they sing and they dance and they stumble and they fall. And we just have a great time. And one of the things that's so exciting for us as a church that we realize every week we have the opportunity to impact hundreds, literally hundreds of kids every week through our children's ministry, to raise up a new generation that's going to be following Jesus. I, I feel like our church is in really, really good hands. 83 years we've been always investing in the next generation, and so we're, we're so excited. Thank you, Car Wars, for being here. I, um, I, I wish you had opportunity to just sit and hear some of the stories, like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Very exciting what God is actually doing in the country of Indonesia. And uh, because we're here celebrating after the service, they brought along cake with them. So lots of celebrating. So make sure you have a piece of cake at the end of the service out in the foyer. So again, thank you for being here. We're very excited about what God's doing in that country. Well, I don't want to stress anybody out. But today's the 15th. <laughs> we're 10 days away. And I know this church is a pretty organized church, so I'm sure most get everything done uh, for Christmas in preparation. Our, our family is in, a, is in a panic. We had family that arrived yesterday, flew in from Florida. We got uh, friends that are flying in from BC this week, more family flying in and, um, from Florida. And for some reason, we decided it was time to redecorate this week, <laughs> to repaint and move furniture around. So uh, we're all in this panic, kind of getting ready. Uh, for Christmas. Listen, a few weeks ago, we began a new series called Hope Has a Name. We said this multiple times over the last few weeks. If there was ever a time in history that people needed hope, it's December of 2019. People looking for hope. You, you pick up a newspaper, you watch the evening news, you, you read the news online, and you get this sense that there's a lot of people feeling like there's no hope. I mean, you kind of look at maybe the global situation and we ever wonder, will there ever be hope for countries like Kosovo or, or Israel or, or Syria or Iraq or, or Iran? And we wonder, is, will, will it shrink the gap between the wealthy and, and the poor? And, you know, we look at all the political polarization. We wonder, is it ever going to come to an end? Uh, the, the drug epidemic that seems to go throughout the world, will that ever come to an end? And that's the global scene, but we bring it a little closer to home, and we wonder, is my marriage going to survive? Is there hope? Is there any, any hope that my kids are, are going to turn around? Because it seems to be on a path of destruction. Is there any hope that I'm going to find a job that will actually provide uh, for my family? Is, is there any hope that my spouse is going to be cured of cancer? Is there any hope that my, my parents are, are going to come to know Jesus? Is there any hope that our preacher will not be long-winded today? Like there's all kinds of hope out there. Last week when we began our time together, we looked at the book of Philippians. We read a, a small verse from there. Written by the Apostle Paul. Remember that? In prison. Chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He wrote some pretty powerful words. Even when life wasn't what he thought it was going to be. He had a dream to go to Rome, but it was not under these circumstances. And so life wasn't what he had thought it was going to be. 
and yet he pins these powerful words. You remember them from last week. Be anxious for nothing. Why? Because God is near. That's why so oftentimes God can whisper because he's near. And he's often near to the broken hearted. We, we would think that for someone to write words like that, be anxious for nothing. You know, God is near. You would think that Paul must be on the top of his game. Life's going good. As they say, all the stars have aligned. All the pieces are falling into place. That's the kind of person that writes those kind of words, but that's not his reality. No, his reality, humanly speaking, we say, oh, it's a very dark hour. He actually is in prison. And yet he writes those powerful words. God is near. I mean, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He's on death row. Like, what's going to happen? And he says, be anxious for nothing. I don't know about you, but that's one of the biggest struggles that I personally have, not being anxious. I realize there are a few people here, probably here this morning, that are so laid back, right? Nothing really rattles you. Oftentimes, we, we'd say that my dad was like that. I mean, we always tell the story, if we were to drive home one day and our house was burnt to the ground, dad would go, ha, huh, we get to spend a night in a hotel tonight. All right, always looking on the bright side. But even he had his limits at times. Does this sound familiar to you? It's 2.30 a.m. You roll from one side to the other side. You take your pillow and you try to fluff it up. Everybody's sleeping in the house but you. You look over and you look at your spouse and they're deep in dreamland. Your dog is all curled up on the bottom of your bed. The kids are deep in a sleep. It's 3.30 in the morning. And you got to get up and, and three hours and go back to work and face that coworker that there's been a lot of tension. It's 4.30 in the morning and the only light that you can see in your life is that little green light on the alarm clock. Then all of a sudden you get a sharp pain in your head. And you've come to the conclusion you have a brain tumor. And you wonder, do I have enough insurance to provide for my family? Do I have enough insurance to, to bury me? And anxiety sometimes becomes so overwhelming to the point where you just want to take your, your, you know, your pillow and cover your face. You feel like you're just on the verge of tears. Somewhere along the line you've gone from being discouraged to depressed, to being disillusioned, to maybe even moments of despair. What does it all mean? By the way, that scenario happens to people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. Millions of people live their lives that way. Maybe it's how it describes your life. How is it ever going to change? Is this what I'm left to live the rest of my years like? Well, there's a, there's a prophet in the Old Testament that when you study his life, you come to soon to realize he can relate to us who are living in 2019. You know, when your life feels like it's just kind of flown into the toilet. Well, this prophet actually can relate. Because not only is his present situation dismal, but the future for him looks very disappointing as well. I mean, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no one cheering him on. Come on, keep at it. You can do it. Yet living in a very dark place, in a very dark season of his life, 
he writes some words that can light up a dark place in someone's world. This prophet has often been called the weeping prophet. For 40 years, he just wept. 40 years, no response. 40 years of pouring his life and 40 years of disappointments. And yet he, he writes some very powerful words. I've often wondered, his name is Jeremiah, I've often wondered, did he ever say, Am I ever, is, is life always going to be this way? Am I ever going to get to where I'm supposed to be going? Is it ever going to turn around? Is life ever going to work for me? You know, that sense of loss of hope. And so today, as I, as I read those verses, I hope it offers a, a little bit of light, maybe, in a dark season that maybe you may find yourself in this morning. Many of you have memorized it. And some of you have known as your child. You knew this verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Now imagine that. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord speaking. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope with a future. Sometimes when I just read that, it lightens the load for me. That God has a plan. Ever met a person who had no hope? Maybe you're here this morning. And the truth is you're struggling to find hope. Do you know why people have no hope? Because they, they don't see a future. You see, we read a verse like that, and you would think, well, that's a great verse and a great chapter, but no, this is a great verse and a dark chapter. Life is not going well uh, for Jeremiah. And yet there's this a glimmer of hope in the midst of a season that is very dark. And it's sometimes during those seasons I have to resurrect this verse in my mind and remind myself, oh, God has a plan. That's right, God has a plan. And that plan involves a future that is, that is full of hope. I'm just going to ask, can, can the tech people, can you shut everything off? Just make this as dark as you possibly can. Maybe ushers, can you shut those back lights off? Those light switches right there. This is Jeremiah. This is his life. 40 years, this is, his life is in a dark season. And then out of nowhere comes this little bit of light that begins to offer hope to the people of God who are desperate to know that God hasn't forgotten them. That God has a plan. And this plan is for a future that will be filled with hope. You can turn the lights back on, please. Ever thought that maybe God was angry at you? Upset with you? Frustrated with you? That's when sometimes our enemy, the devil, likes to make us believe that, you know, the circumstances of our life prove that God doesn't love us. 
It's one of his tactics because, you know, we have these thoughts in our head. If God really did love you, this would not be happening to you right now. You know, if God really did love you, your world wouldn't be collapsing all around you. Circumstances can sometimes cause us to wonder, does God really even care who I am? And then sometimes we we do something that um, causes us to be so disappointed with ourselves. Or or maybe you do something to someone else and, and you're disgusted by what you have done. And then you take those thoughts that you have, disappointment with yourself or, or being disgusted with yourself, and you, you superimpose that on God. Because if I'm disgusted with myself and I'm disappointed with myself, then God surely must be disappointed with me. He must surely be disgusted with me. He must be to the point where he's ready to wipe his hands clean of me. Anyone know what I'm talking about? When you inflict that upon yourself... I actually think this is how the people of God perhaps were feeling. They're living in exile. This is a letter actually written to those who have been yanked out of Israel. They're living in Babylon. This was, this was not their dream. This, is, this was not part of the plan of raising a family in their homeland, but they find themselves in Babylon. And I wonder if some people are are completely thinking, God must be so disgusted with us. That's why he sent us here. God maybe has forgotten us. Maybe God doesn't really love us anymore. And so the the people of of God, they're they're living in exile. You you can find that actually in in verse 4. There there seems to be no answer to the problems that they have in sight. And and for the nation of of Israel to be living in such a a pagan culture at that particular time, this is Babylon filled with idolatry. It's it's in Babylon, we read the stories in Daniel, of course, where Nebuchadnezzar builds this this image of himself for the whole world to bow down and worship him. I I was recently in China, and I went to a park, and in this park there was this picture of Buddha, I, I don't know, I think it's about 300 feet high, and you can see all the stairs that lead up to it. It was mammoth, and, and as soon as I got there, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this must have been what it was like when Nebuchadnezzar built this huge image of himself, and people came, and they just bowed, and they worshiped. In fact, there's a closer picture, I think. I, you can see the petals. There's one person, a tiny little dot right there. That's how big this Buddha was that people would come and, and worship. Well, this is what's happened in Babylon. Neb- King Nebuchadnezzar has built this huge image and, and people are, are to bow down and worship. And so this is everything that Israel had never, ever wanted. Living in a land where people had no time for the Jewish God. And then even make wor- uh, worse, the, those who were taken out of Babylon because, or out, out of uh, Israel, they, they took the cream of the crop. Jeremiah is left back in Israel, but the cream of the crop has been taken to Babylon. All the royalty, all those who have been well educated, uh, all those who are very artsy and, and creative, uh, they've taken them all to Babylon. And so they're in there, and, and the Bible says actually in the same chapter, I think it's in, in verse 8 of, of 29, that even the prophets, even the preachers were lying to the people. Oh, this is not going to happen very, this is where, you know, get ready, God's going to deliver us soon. You know, get ready to rebel. It's only probably going to happen for a few more months, and then we'll be out of here, which was not the truth. I mean, even the spiritual leaders were lying to the people. And when people have no hope, they often will listen to whatever's out there. 
And, and I think there's a lot, of, a lot of false hope. Sometimes it gets offered out there. Sometimes the church will say, hey, you give us some money, we'll double it in return when you get it back. I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. It's kind of false hope. Hey, you follow the Lord, and life will always be good. No, where does that say that in Scripture? You're kind of offering false hope. I think a lot of us would agree that we are living in a world where there is a lot of darkness, like hopelessness. It, it seems that, you know, darkness is kind of creeping in, crouching in on us. You know, where you, you see families who are unraveling, individuals coming apart at the seam, churches in conflict and, and confused as we live in a season of political madness. It's easy to see why maybe people feel a little bit of hopelessness. In fact, you may even think it's, you know, covering the world, this feeling of hopeless. And Jeremiah 29 is, 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 is discussing, it's, it's talking to a, the people of God who are in such a bleak situation. They see no hope, no breaking loose from the situation. Their nation has been torn apart. Their lives are in shambles. Their society has been um, ripped apart. Their financial security has been destroyed. Any dreams that they ever had for their family were gone. It seems like every level of society in this particular day was living in a dark world. Every generation that was alive was living with this hopelessness. But then in the middle of all this dark season of someone's life, there's this, this verse that just offers a little bit of light. It says, I have a plan. I have a plan, declares the Lord. That's a good one. And it's a plan for your future that will be so filled with hope. I don't know if you're living in a dark chapter right now of your life. Maybe you are. Or maybe the truth is you feel like you've been living in chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of a really dark season. And you wonder, will it ever come to an end? Or is this my life? You know, if you experience the highs, the lows, the mountaintop experiences, those low valley experiences. Well, Jeremiah can relate to us this morning. But not only is it a, a verse that can light up a dark chapter, it's a verse that can light up an entire book that seems to be discouraging when you read it, a book that has a lot of discouragement and, and, and depression and disillusionment and, and, and moments where people actually feel despair. And then out of nowhere, light on the situation that you have this morning. You know, maybe, as I said, maybe it's been years for you. Maybe you just have years of bad memories, years of just terrible decisions that you've made. And now you just, you're maybe living the result of that. You're just like, I, is there, this is going to get any better. Is there any hope? Well, what is hope? 
Well, hope is a joyful expectation about the future. It is always about the future. It is always about looking forward. It is never about looking at our, our circumstances behind us. It's never even looking at our current situation. It is always looking forward, where you're going. Nothing to do about where you are where you're coming from. There's always that expectation that tomorrow will be better than my yesterday and that tomorrow will be better than my current situation that I have. That's hope, that it will get better. When you get in your car, you know, I know as we're driving, there's a tendency to look in the rearview mirror to see what's behind us, but we don't drive that way. We're always looking forward. If we just always looked in the rearview mirror, we'd find ourselves in chaos all the time. Hope is about moving forward. And, and God says to us, he says, I got a plan. Oh, I got a plan. And it's a good one. And it's actually for your future. And that future will be filled with hope. Regardless of what you're going through. Regardless of what maybe what your loved one is going through. It's good to know that God's actually got a plan. And it might not to us look like a good plan. But I'm telling you, God always says, the best plans. And somehow, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I've experienced it where God can take the pain and the hurt and turn it around and do something good with it. Not that it is good, but he can make something good out of what has just happened. Now, I realize that a lot of us know that verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. Of course, we, we say it, we see it on posters, on the walls, but sometimes we don't always read the next couple of verses that follow Jeremiah so I'd like to read those to you. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I love that. Like God hears when we call on him, when we go looking for him, he's there. He can be found. He's not hiding himself. And by the way, this is not a, a casual looking for God. This is a kind of looking that you, you pursue with, with your whole heart. See, some people want the plan, but they don't want the person. I, I like how Tony Evans will often say it. People want the plan, but they don't want the planner. And here in Jeremiah, it says you seek the planner, you'll have the plan that is full of hope for your future. See, sometimes, and I feel like maybe I've been guilty of this, sometimes I feel like maybe as the body of Christ, we want a full-time God, but we want to be a part-time Christian. And that's why it says, pursue God with your whole heart, with everything that's within you. Sometimes I think, I think sometimes God does allow those things. Not all the time, but I think sometimes he allows sometimes things into our life that causes us to realize, wow, I was never created to be, live independently from God. I've been created to be completely dependent upon him. And so as I've been thinking about that, you know, I feel like there's this, this need to return to, to the presence, God's presence in our midst. And what is very interesting, when you look at a world that sometimes is full of hopelessness, 
And sometimes the church, it keeps it and people struggling with hope. I, I, I feel like God always deals with his people first. Like he, he deals with the people in the church house before he deals with the people in the White House. Like in our government, all those leaders. Like, because if he can't get our attention, why do we expect he's going to get the world's attention? And God says, I got a plan. That's a good plan. I realize that some of you have, you know, you've, you've been ticked off, you've been ripped off by people. And you think to yourself, because God has allowed that, that maybe, well, God can't be interested in my life, what's happening in my life. You got the situation here with Israel. We didn't read the earlier part of the story where Israel just decided to walk away from God. And then God wanted to do some work in their lives. And they were taken off to Babylon for 70 years, not for a year or two, 70 years. But in the midst of that, Jeremiah reminds the people, but listen, God has a plan. I know it doesn't look good right now, the plan, but God has a plan, and the plan is a future that offers you hope. And what I love about the God that we serve is that God can take all the messes of our life, and he does it. We've seen it repeatedly. We have hundreds of stories that can be told here how God has taken the mess and made a miracle out of it. When we thought there was no hope, then God took that which was not good in our life. They did something miraculous with it. I remember as a kid, all oh, these are fond memories. My mom used to make homemade bread, okay? It's been years. But I invite that to come back one day. But as a kid, what I remember, you know, we sit at the supper table and you, you know how you smell bread cooking in the house and, oh, you're, you know you're going to have hot rolls for, for supper and the, the butter, you know, would melt on it. Like, oh, this is so good. But I realized for us to have this good tasting bread, my mom really abused the dough ahead of time. Man, that they needed, bam, on the countertop, Bam, on the countertop again. Squishing it, folding it in half. Bam, again. Then put it in a bucket and let it rise. And then she said, you want to take a punch of the bread? Yes. And I punch it, take all the air of it. But the process of that gave us some really, really good tasting bread. And sometimes God takes that process Sometimes, don't we feel like, it's like God's saying, bam, we feel like, oh my goodness, I feel like I've been thrown against the wall. I feel like I've been punched and kneaded and folded. But sometimes we forget that God's doing something in our life that could never be done any other way. And see, God has a plan, and it's a good plan. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of people that could speak from experience. Maybe in the situation we didn't recognize it. But when we come through the other side, we look back and we go, oh my goodness, God was working behind the scenes and I never saw it. Because the thing is, this plan, this working behind the scene is always, 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 we sometimes forget this, but it is always for your 
good and his glory. That's why the Lord says, I have a plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan for, for your future that will be full of hope. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel like you just want to throw in the towel, like you, you feel like God's given up on you, so therefore you're going to give up on him. I just want to say, hold on. God is at work. God's got a plan. That's a plan for you that's going to fill you with hope for a future. And there's nothing like it when God takes something that seems like the impossible and turns it around. And I've been talking to some of you in the last few weeks who uh, I'm just getting a, like a small piece of, of your journey, of your story. And, and some of you, you've, you've lived through some, some really painful experiences in your life. Um, and you wonder if you're ever going to heal. You know, some of you have, have experienced where, where your marriage is broken up because your, your spouse that you made a vow to walked out on you. And you wonder, can I ever recover from that? Or maybe you were at work and you had a good reputation, but someone has assassinated your reputation and your character, and you've lost your job. You wonder, what, what, what is going on? Or maybe you're, you have a broken relationship with your kids, and you're like, I, I don't even know how to fix this. Or maybe you have a broken relationship with your parents and you're just trying to figure out how to fix it. Well, I'm here to tell you, and I can shout it from the mountaintop, there's a hope. There's a future that is filled with hope. And I want to tell you, hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. And he is a God that is filled with hope. See, in this passage of Scripture that we read in Jeremiah 29, the people of God are, 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 are desperate. They don't see any end to the situation. They're living in exile. They're, they're basically slaves in, in a foreign country. What kind of future is that, Jeremiah? What are you talking about? Because he wrote this letter, and it was sent to Babylon. And as the people read it, I'm wondering if they began to think, really, Jeremiah? Okay, sure, come and visit our situation and see how much of a future we have here. We're talking, this is a, it's a dark day. And maybe you're here in the same situation. Oh, really, Donald? Really? A future full of hope? Have you seen my situation? You know, maybe you, you're, you're, you're dealing with debt or divorce or disease or, or, or home foreclosure or drug addiction. And you want to ask me the question, well, Donald, where is the security and all that? Where is the prosperity? Where is the future full of hope? It seems like the complete opposite to me, Donald, if you look at my situation. In fact, I'm starting to begin to wonder if God is even real when I look at my life. And so a couple things I want you to know. First of all, God, God has a good plan, and it's for you. The second thing is, God's plans are not always our plans. Let's be honest, we all are good at making plans. I've made all kinds of plans for my life, and I'm thinking, oh, what happened there, Lord? Ten years ago, I was supposed to be living in Florida. I prayed 20 years. Lord, send me to Florida. On the beach, there's got to be a ministry there somewhere. Those lost poor souls, those Floridians, need someone. 
I've often said, but God had a better plan because he sent me to the Florida of Canada, Sarnia. <laughs> was a better plan he had. But when, when our plans don't work out, let's be honest, when our plans don't work out, that's when we begin to question, God, do you love me? Because I thought I had a great plan. You know, Lord, this is my plans. Just, you don't even have to do any work now. Just, just bless these, and, and I'll be happy. I want to tell you, when your plans, when my plans don't work out, it's not because God has abandoned us. It's not because God isn't paying attention. It's just that God has a better plan. See, God's plan is for a future that will be filled with hope. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. In fact, in Psalm 139, verse 16, the psalmist writes, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to be. Before you were ever born, before you were even thought of and conceived, God had a plan for your life. He had it orchestrated. He knew the plans from the day you took your first breath. He knows all that was going to happen, what is happening, and will happen. That is not to cause you to have frustration. That is to cause you to be comforted that knowing God has a plan for you. Like he's so aware of you. Now I realize we will not always understand the ultimate plan. That's just a reality. And I've also discovered that what I think is good is not always what God thinks is good. See, God has a good plan. I think I have good plans. But I'm discovering God has better plans. I'm so glad that I, we didn't stick with my good plan. That we went with his better plan. I don't know if you're aware of it. I think I said it earlier, right, that Jeremiah is a contemporary of Daniel. We, we've read the book of Daniel before. And so uh, Daniel would have read, read these words. They, he would have heard these spoken over him. I have a plan, declares the Lord. This is, Daniel would have read these words. I wonder when he first read them, like, okay, great. Or was, was he struggling as a, you know, he went there as a teenager, dragged away. And he read those words. But then Daniel writes this. I love this. I love how the pages of Scripture are woven together to give us hope. In Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, this is what Daniel writes. There is one who we have prophesied is coming, and he will put an end. Listen to this. He will put an end to the hopelessness that people feel. He will bring life. He will bring peace, and he will be the anointed one. He will be the one that we have waited for all of our lives. He will be the one. That hope had a name, and the name was Jesus. See, God had a good plan from the very beginning when it said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he created a male and female and a great plan, but then man thought he had a better plan. And so then God came up with another good plan where he would send his son. Believe it or not, this is what we're celebrating, right? The birth of the someone that was going to come and offer us hope. And not only is it the birth of Jesus, but it was his life and his death, but it was the resurrection of Jesus that restored God's good plan for mankind. That there could be hope in this world. In Jeremiah 29, 11, 
is for those who believe that Jesus is the deliverer of their sins. Because without him, there is no future, there is no hope. So that's why Jeremiah could write this. Thinking about a better day, there's, there's one coming who will give you a future that will not be compromised, but a future that is filled with hope. This morning, though, I recognize people here may feel that guy doesn't care. That's all great stuff, Donald. That's the Christmas story, yeah, yeah, yeah. But right now, I don't feel this. I'm reminded of a story. Chuck Smith, actually, uh, an older preacher. I think he's, he passed away a couple years ago. But he tells a story about his little girl. And he was tucking her in bed at night. And his little girl just said, nobody loves me. He goes, honey, you know your daddy loves you. Nope, not even daddy loves me. And he was saying, so he thought, well, you know mommy loves you. No, mommy doesn't love me either. And he, was, he said, check off grass. Well, he said, I know grandma loves you. He said, you, you know Grammy loves you. No, Grammy doesn't. He said, what has got into this child? Well, granddad does. No, he doesn't. Finally, Chuck said, I, I find, well, at least you know Jesus loves you. And he goes, no, he doesn't love me either. And he was like, well, I don't, why would you say that? You know Jesus loves you. And she said, I looked up in the sky and even the clouds were sticking their tongue out at me. <laughs> and sometimes that's how we feel. No matter where I look, it seems hopeless. I think the people of Jeremiah's day had that thought. I think they probably thought, I don't know if God loves me anymore. Because just look at the mess that I am. They had cause to believe that God was done with them. Now they're in this situation where it seems like there's no hope. It's over for us. But then there's this little bit of light where God says, no, no, I got a plan. I got a plan. And this plan is going to be a future that is full of hope. And I want to tell you, hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning, I want to I pray for our family here. Lord, that's what we are. We are a family. And today I know we even have guests that have come, and we love embracing the guest. But Lord, I would dare say in a room this size with this many people, there are people that walk through this door that are not looking forward to Christmas. In fact, for them, Christmas is a reminder maybe of all they've lost. Or maybe it's just a reminder of what the future looks like. It seems desperate. You know, Lord, it's possible people could be even here this morning with these, these moments of despair, wondering why even bother anymore so God we pray in a way that only you can do this could you, could you gently whisper into people's ears this morning who feel so desperate so lost not knowing where to do or what to say and 
God, would you whisper in their ear and remind them that you are a God who loves people? And God, can you remind them too that you have the ability, I don't know how you do it, but God, you have the ability to take all the broken pieces, all the shattered pieces of our life and put them back together again. And give us hope. And so that is our prayer, Lord. For those here this morning, find themselves in this season of hopelessness. God, would you remind them, no, 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 no. Remind them that you have a plan you got a plan. And this plan involved a future that would be filled with hope. And so, Lord, for those who this morning perhaps don't know Jesus, they know the Christmas story, but they don't know you. And God, would you fill their hearts this morning? Would they call out to you? And then would you, in response, Lord, just fill their hearts with hope? Jeremiah 12, 13, uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 29 tells us that we, if we go looking for you, we'll find you. We call it to you. You hear us. And that's the kind of God because you're so near. And so, Lord, for those who are here this morning who just need to call it to you, I pray that, that would be their response this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's nobody.